on today's show. Engage in your local church. Engage intentionally. Pay attention to what's happening there. You're a leader. Don't feel so terrible that you're not meeting with 100 people in one-on-one discipleship, but really invest in what you're doing in your gathered worship and then be strategic in what you're doing in those one-on-one moments too. Don't neglect that. You need to disciple your elders. You need to disciple your deacons. You need to disciple your future leaders that you want to see come up, but not to the not to the diminishment of the normal means of grace that God gives us through the local church. Stay tuned. And welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Communications and Media, here again with you here today and with my good coworker, friend, Scott Dunford, pastor of Redeemer Church in Fremont, California. How are you doing, buddy? I am uh, feeling very pastoral today, and uh, it's been it's been a, a very good, very productive ministry week, but busy. So I'm glad we get to do this, and uh, we're gonna have we're gonna have a good discussion I think today, brother. I think feeling very pastoral means feeling very tired. That's the vibe I'm getting. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not tired like from bad things. Like I, mm. we've got an Afghan refugee family moving into our house on yeah, Saturday. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, that's a big deal and requires a lot of preparation and work and we're excited about that and we're doing a a church plant uh, in San Jose and they had their first service last week and we're kind of excited about that but obviously that's a lot of work and so yeah a lot of fun ministry things going on but and our church is growing and we're really thankful for that so that creates you know obviously a lot of you know unique ministry opportunities and yeah so i'm a little tired but i'm not sure not sad i'm really excited so (laughs) as long as you're not really good yes i do think it's relevant to today because if you're if you're listening if you're like i feel like scott i'm (laughs) I'm a tired ministry person i'm a tired missionary pastor seminary student whatever category you fit into what i think you probably need most is another thing to do scott do you need You need something else to do, right? I yes, I I have thirty minutes today that is unoccupied. So please fill it, Alex. Okay, well I'm I'm happy to, <laughs> and I'm I'm being a little bit facetious. But here's what I hear so often, Scott. And tell me if you've ever heard this. Many people in the parachurch ministry world, especially. So you know, I'm not pointing the finger at anyone else but myself. But but oftentimes there are people who who minister outside of the walls of the local church. And the whole premise of their ministry seems to be about, here's something the church is doing wrong. Here's something you need to add. Or here's something you need to modify. Mm-hmm. You've heard that before, right? Mm-hmm. So let me just yeah. let me just throw one out there. And this will be the one that we discussed today. Yeah. Would you say true or false to this statement, Scott? Most churches are not doing discipleship. Just immediate cold reaction. True or false? It's such a loaded question, man. You know, I guess I would say true to some of it. Like if I think about some of the big churches that I look at and what they're trying to do and how they're going about their uh, liturgy or lack thereof, maybe true, but I don't know. I don't, I feel like I know a lot of churches that are doing discipleship. So Mm. I guess Mm. it kind of depends on what you call discipleship, right? Yeah. Maybe I'm hypersensitive, Scott, because I hear so many people in the ministry world whose job it is to resource other believers in other stations across the globe and thank God for them. But whether it's, well, it's discipleship or it's caring for this group within your church or it's yeah. starting this type of a ministry within your church. Right. I, I hear from a lot of different groups and organizations who kind of make it their mission to say, Hey, the church has failed in category X 
And so we're we're here to fill that void. And maybe I'm a little bit of a cynic, but I, I get a little bit defensive when I hear that kind of language only because uh, I want to be sensitive in my own life that I don't build my ministry on something that's critiquing the bride of Christ. Now, do we have our problems as the church, as believers? Absolutely, right? But also the the bride is beautiful and yeah. Christ died for her. And, and man, we, we get a lot of things wrong, but but we're all in it together, right? And 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 there's <laughs> there's a, there's an unstable footing there if we build our platform on saying here's something that Christians are getting wrong, kind of across the board. I mean, when I hear that question, and when I've heard others bring that up, I feel the way you do, Scott. I feel like yes, maybe there's a lot of churches that aren't <laughs> doing discipleship, but then I kind of wonder, of course, what do you mean by discipleship, right? And that's right. core to the missionary task is what is discipleship. Yeah. You know, it starts with like, we've talked about this a lot, but like, what is a church? I, and I've found, and I think you would agree with this, and I know it's going to make us sound like super snooty and holier than thou, but like a lot of churches don't have a clear definition of what is a church. You know, some of the discussions I've had with, with leaders are out, even out here. Sometimes I'm just like, I don't know why you're calling what you do a church or sometimes what you are doing is a church and you're just not defining it that way. And, and you need to like tighten that up. But like defining what is a church, then going on to saying like, are we doing that job effectively? I think some of these churches are not really functioning like church. They're not owning that responsibility uh, to disciple their people. They see themselves as kind of an evangelistic center. But to your point, def- defining what is discipleship, I, I think if we get that definition right, I think we'll find that a lot of churches are doing it well, you know, and uh or they're doing a pretty good job of it. They just need to improve in a, in a few areas or or take a little bit more ownership of the result and, and just kind of lean into it. What, what are you thinking? Well, I, I think, again, it comes back to what is the definition of discipleship, right? Jesus in the Great Commission sends us to make disciples of all the nations. I, I This has been serendipitous, the reason we're talking about this today, because I just attended a pastor's conference that was about this exact question. What is discipleship? How do we mm-hmm. do it well? Mm-hmm. I'm in a Twitter conversation with a friend of mine right now, again, about what what does Jesus mean? Are you on Twitter? You mean by, yeah, a little bit <laughs> about <laughs> disciple the nations and what, what does that mean? Yeah. We're talking about individuals, we're talking about groups, yeah. and there's so many ways that we can define this. And there are ministries that say, well, we're here to help the local church make disciples. But mm-hmm. if it's the job of a missionary in particular to make disciples of all the nations, We've talked on this show before about what the nations are and who the nations are, maybe what they aren't, but we haven't really ever drilled down super deep on what is a disciple and then what does right. it mean to make mm-hmm. one. I love the definition that Mark Dever gives that some of the nine marks materials give, which is simply it's it's helping others become more like Christ. Yeah. It's helping others become more like Jesus, follow Jesus. That's a super simple, basic definition. But even within that that easy phrase, I think it gives us a couple of key things, but I'll list those things, and then I want to get your thoughts on something mm-hmm. else, Scott. Yep. So what, what that gives you is, first of all, it's, it's people that are becoming like Jesus. Mm-hmm. In other words, it implies you're already on that path. Mm-hmm. It implies you've already been converted. Somebody that is not converted, not born again, is by definition not being made into a disciple. They're not following right. Christ. So the idea of conforming more and more to Christ is simply not on the radar. And sometimes we talk about discipling a person before conversion. And, and maybe there's an extent to which that's true. You're kind of bringing them in. You're trying to help them learn more about Jesus as you're injecting the gospel into those conversations. That certainly happens on the mission field. But is that discipleship, you know, capital D, discipleship proper? 
I would say, no, discipleship is helping believers in Christ to become more like him. And then the other thing that's caught up in that definition is the broadness of it, helping. Okay, well, well, what sorts of things can help a person become more like Christ? And this is what I want to get your thoughts on is so often when, when we ask, is the church doing discipleship well? Uh-huh. You as a pastor or a missionary, are you doing discipleship? Don't you have enough on your plate? Well, are, are you doing this? Or, or how are we doing at discipleship? See, we tend to think of discipleship as you and I sitting down for coffee and you're pouring into me, right? Uh-huh. It's, a, it's a one-way yeah. uh, teacher-student relationship. Maybe, maybe it's not one-on-one. Maybe it's one-on-two or one-on-three. A friend of mine in our denomination just just preached a message the other day on everyone should have 12 disciples like Jesus and then three disciples and then one individual disciple like Jesus had the disciple that he loved most, right? And that's a, that's a great model just to make sure that you're doing discipleship. But do we hold too rigidly to this idea that discipleship is only the one-on-one sort of investment, the classroom style of investment, yeah. or is discipleship also everything that we're doing to help people become more like Jesus. That's kind of the question that I'm getting at here. And I I think it's important for missions. Yeah. I mean, I want to go back to what you were saying about difference between evangelism and discipleship. I mean, I think in Matthew 28, you could make a case that on the other side of salvation, of regeneration, uh, the other side of regeneration, we look backwards and go, all of it was discipleship. You know, like there's a process of making me become a disciple. But when, so so I think when you're saying discipling the nations, we're not saying go out and find Christians in those nations and start discipling them. I mean, obviously that's not, not part of it, but, but it was looking at the other side of it. But when we're talking about discipleship proper, yeah, we're, we're, I think that's great. We're finding people who are saved and helping them to, to to follow Jesus more faithfully. And so back to your question, like, I, I think I struggled with that. I mean, I was a young man in ministry, and I people talked about discipleship, and I never could remember a time when someone, like, sat down across from me every single week for X number of weeks and, like, walked me through a portion of Scripture together. And I longed for that. I really did. But, but as I've gotten older, I look back at my... Christian experience. I think actually my experience was more normal in that the normal means of grace were really used in my life to disciple disciple me. I was raised in a Christian home. I had a mom and dad that taught me God's word, that made sure that I was growing in my faith, that held me accountable, that, that you know, by, by the time I went to college, I knew a lot of God's word. I was in a church that, that you know, had had Sunday school classes and had to teach me God's word. I sat through preaching where I heard God's word being taught. And so the truth is like, I was so far ahead of a lot of other people because I was in those places where I was receiving the normal means of discipleship, the normal means of grace, which led to my discipleship, learning to follow Jesus. Now that doesn't mean I don't think that there's a lot of value in some of the other one-on-one things, but I, it almost in my mind feels like the difference between, you know, your three square meals a day that you get at your dinner table and a healthy assortment of snacks, like the snacks supplement the dinner. Um, they don't, mm. they don't replace the dinner. And so mm. I think like that one-on-one discipleship, and I think we can talk about that. I think you do see some of that in scripture, but I think the the main thrust you see is being involved in a body of Christ, uh, being taught God's word and uh, being being discipled in it, learning how to follow Jesus in a community of, of people, uh, experiencing the the normal means of grace through the word and the sacrament or the ordinances. If you're 
a really good Baptist and don't like the word sacrament. You know, those are the kinds of things I think that I'm God does Baptist, use to make us follow Jesus. Sacrament. I do. Well, obviously, Alex, I was being tongue in cheek there, but uh, <laughs> but but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, you you used a phrase that I want to camp out on for purposes mm-hmm. of this conversation about discipleship because again whether we're pastors missionaries or everyday christians if we have an obligation to make disciples we have to know what that means use a phrase that you and i might take for granted i don't know that everyone is going to immediately latch on to what you mean by it though and that's the means of grace Mm -hmm. so what are the means of grace historically that that could be misinterpreted to mean something that's magically communicating the saving grace of god so Mm -hmm. so we we aren't sacerdotal sacramentalists, to to Mm -hmm. use some technical terminology in the sense that we believe, for instance, that baptism or the Eucharist automatically convey some sort of justifying grace that that actually redeems the sinner. We don't believe that. We believe that the grace that we receive in salvation comes only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we express our faith a number of ways, including Mm -hmm. baptism, including the Lord's Supper. That's not what we mean when we, say, when we say means of grace. When we say means of grace, though, there's also grace in our sanctification. There's also grace in our right. process of becoming more and more like Christ, right, which is how we define discipleship. There's grace in becoming more and more conformed to the image of Christ, right? There's, there's the sorts of grace that we enjoy every single day, right? It's just the overflow right. of the kindness of God and knowing him more and more. And that is communicated, though, through means and the gospel itself which is the object of of our faith right mm-hmm. which enables us to believe and to be saved that gospel is also communicated in various means not just the preaching of a pulpit not just direct evangelism the gospel itself is displayed in baptism it's displayed in the lord's supper the ordinances or the sacraments depending what terminology you want to use so when we say the means of grace what we're really talking about is the ordinary things that god has ordained that are meant to lead people to Christ and help them to become more like him. And here's where we like tend to Christian go. Christian camps and revival meetings. <laughs> but you're, you're <laughs> demonstrating exactly that. Right. I think we've got ourselves twisted up in knots thinking that we must always be adding layers of programming, layers of formality, layers of pipelines and trainings to the life of the body of Christ because we don't really understand what's happening when the church gathers for worship on the Lord's mm. Day. That's the meal. That's the entree that you're talking about, isn't right. it? Right. Yeah, and, and I think I, I can give an example that I don't think would embarrass anybody that will maybe highlight some of the problem, I think, that we run into. And that is, you know, we're, we had our association meeting of, of Baptist churches recently, and it was just a small group of us, and we were talking about trying to encourage churches in our area. And it was, it was a subset of a larger meeting. And at the same time we were meeting, there was a Bible study fellowship group going on right in, right next door. And for those of you who know Bible study fellowship, they do a lot of things really well. You know, they, yeah. they teach you systematically through the Bible. There's a lot of training that goes into a high level of accountability. And, um, you know, one of the guys looked over at that group and said, that's a church. And I was like, no, it's not, you know, and we, we got into a little bit of an argument about that. I mean, good hearted argument, but then, you know, we did to begin talking about what are some of the things that they do well, that why do people feel so drawn to be a part of that? And I, I mean, I'm, I, I do love Bible study fellowship. It's been a huge blessing to a lot of people in our church, but I mean, I think that some of the things that they're doing well is just highlighting the fact that so many churches are not doing well, you know, which is creating biblical accountability and strong Bible teaching and then applying it to your lives. And, 
you know, so much if we look at what, what Jesus, how he's describing making disciples, you know, he talks about it, like, you know, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so much of our churches now have kind of said, you know, we're, we're not going to worry about making sure that we teach people the truth of God's word and then how to follow Jesus that way. Instead of it's, you know, it's a lot of, I think, shortcuts and, and yeah. like good moral advice uh, with some Bible verses connected to it instead of a systematic teaching of the, all the things that Christ has commanded us to do. And so I think if we get that right first, you know, and our, let our churches be ordered in such a way that, that, that models and examples that kind of like the big family meal, then other discipleship can flow out of that. That's mm. how I see it. See, when we look at the Great Commission, Jesus doesn't just say, go and make disciples any way you see fit or any way that you think is going to be mm-hmm. most effective. Now, that's what happens <laughs> in a lot of our churches and ministries is that, okay, we know we should technically gather at least once a week for singing in some kind of talk, right? Some some kind right. of a sermon or, or a lecture or something. But then because we feel acutely the need for discipleship together, we layer on program after program, many of them good, mm-hmm. but many of them also distracting from those ordinary means of grace. What does Jesus say? You outline it there, baptizing them and teaching them. So in other words, he he gives the means through which the making of disciples should happen. And one thing that we forget to do as missiologists and as people ministering in various capacities is we just read the Great Commission. If we read it at all, we read it in a vacuum. And then we forget to go to the rest of the New Testament for the way that the apostles understood Jesus' words and put them into action. The whole book of Acts is the way that the disciples understood those words and then put it into action. And what are they doing? They're preaching. And then what else happens in Acts chapter 2? They're gathering for prayer. They're breaking bread together. They're meeting mm-hmm. each other's needs. So the means of grace, number one, it's it's the preaching of the word. Number two, it's the right administration of those ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Because there's a, a real gospel communication happening there, right? That's mm-hmm. grace. And then there's real sanctifying happening there, too, as we're reminded. And as Christ is present with us in those things there, too. So those are means of grace. And then some of those other ordinary means of grace, yes, they do include going out for coffee with somebody. They do include meeting in maybe a smaller group setting. You see hints of that, not the modern small group notion as such, but you see hints of that throughout the New Testament. And what I think is helpful is, you know, in North America, there there are two temptations that I see. The one is what we just described, Scott, right, where a church just layers on all of these midweek programs, 12 steps to become a better disciple of Jesus, to, to do this and that and the other thing. And some of that can be a distraction. There are also churches, though, where, all they're doing is Sunday morning and, and nothing else. And right. nobody's talking to each other. Nobody's involved right. in anybody else's life. And so, you know what? Maybe you do need to employ a, an intentional model of how the mature believers and the pastors and elders of that church are going to personally, relationally invest in individual people so that they become more like Jesus. So maybe there's ditches on both sides there, but it needs to be both the ordinary means of grace that we're using to make disciples and some of those additional tools. You you need those three square meals a day. Snacks are great. Yeah. You need those three square meals a day because if discipleship is just anything that's helping you to become more like Christ, that's happening most of all through the things that we do together when we're gathered together as a church in worship. Right. I think there's a ditch like you described where I don't think this is very common. Maybe it is more common than I realize, but uh, I remember hearing about a pastor that, that, 
used this phrase maximum truth. And that was his, that should have been the, that should have been the red flag right there. But uh, his, his thought was the most skilled and and trained teacher should do the maximum amount of teaching. But I think that that's problematic because it isn't very biblical either. I mean, I do think that as a pastor, elder, as a teacher, I have a high calling, I have responsibility. I need to take it really seriously. And that especially in the gathered meetings of the church, you know, I need to be primarily the one teaching or one of you know our elders are the are the ones who teach 99% of the time. But we do see so much other teaching in scripture and discipleship. You have Priscilla and Aquila, and I'm not willing to exalt Priscilla to the level of a, a pastor, uh, like no. I think some want to do. But I do think we can't diminish the fact that she had a significant role in the discipleship of Apollos. Like scripture makes that really clear. You also sure. have Titus, which is saying, you know, to encouraging older men to, to teach the younger men, but especially, actually it didn't say that exactly, but it says for the older women to teach the younger women. So there is an example we see, like many examples we see in scripture where the only discipleship isn't taking place in the pew. It's also taking place other places because we even have these examples of of women being encouraged to to teach and to disciple people. But I think so much we've to the other degree we've so diminished the role of what what happens in the gathered body of believers or within the context of the local church that we've got to farm out our discipleship to to parachurch organizations. And I think you know speaking to missionaries, then as you're forming churches, which is what missionaries are called to do and plant churches in other places. And I know that our missionaries are part of various steps along that process, figuring out how discipleship is going to flow out of the normal ministries of your church has got to be a big part of that. Would you agree? I would agree. I mean, Scott, we started this show talking about how maybe you're a little tired. Yeah. Be encouraged. You're making disciples every time you stand in that pulpit, you're making disciples Every time you're you're just praying with somebody, every time you you send them a note and maybe there's a little bit of scripture in there to to encourage them, it's not just when you you put on your discipleship hat, you go to the coffee shop and you sit down with a, a curriculum with a checklist of things that you want to cover, you know, basic personal spiritual disciplines, those sorts of things. That's not the only environment in which discipleship is happening, right? Everything that you're doing that's bringing the word to people, the full counsel right. of God's word, Acts 20, especially the gospel, bringing them back and back into encounter with the living Christ. That is discipleship. You're you're making disciples in that way. So part of what we want to do is take the pressure off for some people. Now, again, it's good to have some of those things. So Scott, what are some other things that you think would be good to do that help you make disciples, not just in general, but in that personal relationship kind of way, right? Because we're not saying that we don't need personal relational discipleship. We're absolutely yeah. saying that. What are you doing in that personal relational category that you've found has been a boost in your ministry? Uh, because uh, I, I want us to focus the conversation there. Listen, we've talked about it on the show before. The reason that we get bogged down in all of these pragmatic methodologies, you can name disciple-making movements, whatever you want to name, is, again, because we're underestimating the power of the ordinary means of grace, right. especially preaching, teaching, right administration of the ordinances, right? And so we're layering on a program, a format, a system for, well, if you just talk to these people who talk to these people, whatever that grid or that system is that you're imposing, you're making that the end-all, be-all of the discipleship task, mm. potentially, right? It, that, that's the risk is that you're making that the end-all, be-all of discipleship. Yeah. We don't want to run that risk. 
Discipleship happens through all of the life of the church, and then we do need to engage in personal relational discipleship. So what does that look like in your ministry, Scott? If you don't mind, I'm gonna. I want to just give a little plug to one other part of corporate discipleship uh, here. Yeah, we probably should have this guy on the show sometime. J.T. English has written a really helpful book that our church uses called Deep Discipleship, and uh, he really examines the fact that you know this calling to to teach teach them all the things that Christ has taught us and to, to, is is a big part of discipleship. And so we've actually re revamped all of our Sunday school basically to to focus on this where we're saying, hey, what are the areas of theology that our people need to be competent and careful followers of Jesus? What are what's the Bible knowledge they need to have to begin following Jesus more effectively? What are the the ministry and the personal uh, daily disciplines they need to have to follow Christ effectively. And then, and so we've rebuilt our whole Sunday school program around those three buckets. And then we've also look at our preaching and saying, is our, is our preaching effective at taking the word of God and helping people to know how to respond to God in worship and in holiness, but also to live this out in this cultural moment. And so we try to look through that lens there and also saying, are we, are we doing a good job of creating the spaces necessary for people to have deep relationships that this kind of personal discipleship, this inner like one-on-one type of discipleship can flow out of because so many people in church, they walk in, they fill up and they walk out and then they never talk to anyone in their church the rest of the time, or their, their interactions are so are purely social and not discipleship oriented and not intentional as far as like, how can, how can I be led to follow Christ more effectively? So I just want to give that a little plug. JT English's Deep Discipleship mm-hmm. is a good resource for pastors and missionaries, uh, very practical and helpful and pretty convicting. Uh, so I pr- appreciate that book a lot. Personally, so I'm going to say mostly from a pastoral perspective, you can talk about it as a, a lay leader's perspective probably more effectively. You know, I, I do have people that contact me and and they ask me, like, well, you do, do you do pastoral counseling? And I, I don't love that word because it's a lot of connotation to count with counseling. And I don't realize a lot of people will disagree with me there. But I say I do do discipleship, pastoral discipleship. But I, I do make it a requirement that after the first time we meet, that my meeting with them regularly is going to depend on them coming to the the, the main worship gatherings that we have. They don't come to our main worship gatherings then they're showing me that they're not serious about that because everything we're going to do is going to be built on that. And so there is a place, I think, for sometimes crises. I've got couples that come to me and they're in a marriage crisis and they need help walking through that biblically and applying God's word to that. I think that is discipleship. Like that's helping them follow Jesus in their marriage or sitting down with parents that have a crisis with their child or thinking through, um, you know, maybe they got a life circumstance so many of our families, you know, come out of very bad home situations and they've never seen what a healthy marriage, healthy family could look like. And they need help taking God's word and applying it to those areas of their life. But I'll, I also think there's a part of, of personal discipleship, which can look a lot like what we see in the New Testament with Paul and Silas and Barnabas and John Mark and Timothy and all those guys where where you're saying, these are people that we're equipping for some unique part of ministry, and they need a lot more of my personal attention as we're trying to develop them and get them ready for more public-facing ministry and help dealing with some of the private parts of their life as they're getting equipped, and as well as creating an opportunity for them to to just simply ask questions that maybe uh, a public gathering worship setting doesn't doesn't afford. So those are some areas that I see personal discipleship, that one-on-one 
uh, from a pastoral perspective being really, really important. What would you say? I mean, do you, do you have any follow up to that? Or what would you even say from a layperson's perspective? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's all of the above. Those are some great places to start. I love something that you said earlier, Scott, growing up in the church, having believing parents who were solid and sound, you were taught the word. Hey, that's yeah. discipleship too. Yeah. If you're listening to this and you're, you're a stay-at-home mom, yeah. or maybe you're just in a season of life where more of your attention happens to be focused towards your children, that doesn't mean don't focus on the outside world. That doesn't mean don't plug into your church. Yeah. But discipleship begins at the dinner table, right? Mm-hmm. That That's valid there as mm-hmm. well. One thing that we really try to weave into the cadence of our conversations in our home is catechesis. We use the Baptist catechism for boys and girls based on Benjamin Keach's catechism. We, we're using that. We've used the New City catechism at times as well, too, because there's a great mm-hmm. app for that, and there's there's mm-hmm. songs and all sorts of things there, but it, it doesn't always look highly programmed and structured. But man, those, those additional structures, catechesis, I'm just convinced that it's it's underutilized right yeah absolutely. why why train them to do inductive bible study at age five or ten right when really they need the grammar they need the foundations right. the basics so that then they can piece apart and, and pull apart and put back together those ideas and tinker with them a little bit later in life here's another area where i would say that corporate discipleship overlaps with individual discipleship well in, in our church when i'm leading worship our leader, uh, excuse me, our liturgy, our, our order of service is structured in such a way as to form a gospel arc. So mm-hmm. after our first call to worship, after our first song, after our pastoral prayer, which is usually a prayer of, of adoration and recognizing the greatness of God, we then move to a time of personal, silent, corporate confession of sin, and we conclude that with an assurance of pardon. And then mm. we continue in mm-hmm. our worship together, usually a song of thanksgiving to, mm-hmm. to God for what he's done for us in the gospel. So not only are people getting together and they're learning to rub shoulders with other Christians in church, that's great. That's a discipling influence. We're teaching them in the worship itself what it means to constantly be repenting, coming to the foot of the cross, yeah. leaving your sin there, and then with your sin left at the foot of the cross, then journeying onward and learning, okay, how would... God have me to live this week for him. Mm-hmm. That's that's also instructive. Again, everything that we do is is instructive. And the individual things too. I'm, I'm part of a group of men. Our, our lead pastor is brought together. He's pouring into them. We're going through books. We're talking about our families. You know, so that's one of those direct investment sort of things that's not mm-hmm. happening always inside the walls of the church building. So those things are valid too. But man, there's, there's so many ways that you're formed in Christ-likeness. There's so many influences in your life. And missionaries, pastors listening to this should be encouraged that discipleship is is not less than meeting with people and helping them right. become more like Jesus, but it's it's more than that. There's a yeah. diversity of ways, and, and God is doing his work in your church and in your ministry if you're being faithful with the ordinary things. Speaking to leaders here just for a moment, I kind of had an aha moment yesterday in our staff meeting. We were talking about this, our church plant in San Jose, and and you know how fast or how slow the process should be going, and and one of the guys, actually the, the one of the leaders of the church plan, his name is Ian McConnell, and uh, he, he spoke up and said, you need to remember that as leaders, we're often 10 steps ahead of our people in their understanding of what's happening. And it was like, duh, I know that, but I was not thinking about that. And it was a good reminder and that, that sometimes even those, like our, our service is structured very similar to yours, Alex, of those same elements and, and progression, 
but I'm reminded, you know, that I need to explain that almost every week of like, this is the way, this is the reason we're structuring our service that way. So you can take it home and you can build that into your normal life. Even the benediction is a, is a blessing to go and to serve, but that flows out of the fact that, you know, we worship a holy God. We've been forgiven of our sins. Uh, we've, we've, been, we've been taught the word. We've been brought to the foot of the cross, you know, and we've been sent out to serve. And that those things need to be re- refreshed and rehearsed and, and taught so that people are understanding why it is that we gather together and uh, what are they to learn from those things. So uh, that was very helpful to me to kind of have that reminder of something that I, I should have known. Well, we recommend the book by J.T. English. Any other final words, Scott? engage in your local church, engage intentionally, pay attention to what's happening there. You're a leader. Don't demit, don't, don't feel so terrible that you're not meeting with a hundred people in one-on-one discipleship, but really invest in what you're doing in your gathered worship and then mm-hmm. be strategic in what you're doing in those one-on-one moments too. Don't neglect that. You need to disciple your elders. You need to disciple your deacons. You need to disciple your future leaders that you want to see come up, but not to the, not to the diminishment of the normal means of grace that God gives us through the local church. That's right, because those things are essential. And if you're in a season where all of your focus is on those ordinary things and you're just trying to stay afloat, you're treading water in your ministry on the field or at home, be encouraged. God is using those things too in his will for you and I to be a part of making disciples. Be of good cheer, be strengthened. We hope you're encouraged by this. If you are encouraged by this conversation or any episodes of this show that you've listened to, go ahead and leave us a positive rating and review. That helps us get this content in front of others that can be blessed by it. You can also write to us. My email is alex at missionspodcast.com. Scott's email is scott at missionspodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. I've been going back and forth on, on what is a missionary with one of our listeners all week. Just good email conversation back and forth and asking each other tough questions. It's been so edifying. We love hearing from you guys. And remember, as always, the Missions Podcast is a ministry of ABWE. To get more content, go to missionspodcast.com. And to learn more about ABWE, go to abwe.org. Remember, when you're on our website, you can also support the show, admissionspodcast.com slash support. And we would appreciate your partnership. Until next week, thank you for watching and thank you for listening and go make disciples.